This is Cyber Defense Radio with your host and cybersecurity expert, Gary Malefsky. Gary brings to you another globally recognized cybersecurity executive in the hot seat today. Sitting in my hot seat today is a very special guest. Chris Lee is the Chief Information Security Officer of Eversource. Eversource.com, if you want to check them out. You've probably heard of them. They're in probably the top 20 power suppliers in America, largest energy supplier in New England. And it's an honor to have you back in the hot seat and uh, talking about uh, some of the energy issues and cybersecurity issues you have to deal with every day. Thanks, Gary. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Chris, people are talking about the convergence between Internet of Things right, and the Internet and then operational technology in the Internet, IoT, OT, all this convergence, so many devices that really weren't connected before from our front doorbells, you know, to our baby monitors in our houses, to our refrigerators, to the same kinds of refrigerators in, in hospitals that are holding blood and blood banks. And these are all getting IP addresses. These all may or may not have vulnerabilities and exploitable. Is the same thing happening when we get into the operational technology for the power grid? Well, no, not really, but let's look at the definitions there first. When I hear IoT, and when I use this in my classes that I teach as well as work, I define it two ways, the internet of things and the intranet of things. And so on the internet of things, that's those doorbells, the appliances in your kitchen, the smart thermostats, they plug right into the internet. They allow you to connect to them from your iPads and your phones and manage your house and, and see what's going on when you're at the store. Those are designed for the consumer. But when you get into manufacturing, electrical, water, gas, that's the intranet of things. Those are networks that manage their services and should always be on the internal side of the network. Never should you connect a power grid monitoring system, a manufacturing laser, the monitors at the hospital or the medical equipment to the internet. That just exposes it too much to the hackers out there. You need to isolate it. You need to isolate it from your corporate networks. And so that's how we really try to separate these is, you know, things for the consumer go out over the internet. That makes perfect sense. Risk of that getting hacked, it's much smaller than your corporate operational environments. So we keep those separate. Chris, the Colonial Pipeline, when it went down, that was an internet attack, or was it a internet attack via email where someone clicked a link and it became an internet plague to their network? And so that was actually a little bit different than that. It was accessed from the internet, but it was because there was an unsecured ID and password through their remote access system. It was a legacy, it should have been removed, it was a mistake. That's been published in the news. And so that allowed them to get into the environment. And then they installed some malware in the ransomware, which Colonial ultimately ended up paying and thankfully was able to get back with their good partnership with the FBI. But you know what that shows is organizations have to be completely diligent on their front door. You know, they got in through that account. You have to know how your access is happening. You have to stay on top of that stuff. Now, Colonial Pipeline also did something different. They made a business decision to protect their networks. They shut down the pipes just to be safe. They weren't actually compromised on their operational networks from everything that I've seen, but they took that out of an abundance of caution, which isn't a bad thing. 
but but they did go through there. They did bring it back up, and you know, they've changed their security. I'm sure they've improved it over from what they had. But it shows it only takes one mistake, one error, one one lapse in one spot for the hackers to find it and get in there. So it's a very uh, concerning area, but it's also we are human. So one vulnerability, but again, in this case, it wasn't operational technology connected to the internet, but maybe connected to the corporate net where they thought Correct. there was significant risk that might cause actual damage to their pipeline. That's absolutely correct. What most of the electric utilities do, water companies are moving in this direction. Banks and manufacturing are going this way. It's segmenting their networks, separating one area from the other. So you start with your operational technologies from your corporate technologies, and then you separate finance from HR. You know, this just helps isolate those areas a little bit more, but you might separate finance from HR with some internal access controls, but you're going to totally separate your operational networks. You're going to put firewalls and greater separate IDs and password systems in there and different technologies to protect them. So you're going to really harden your sensitive crown jewels as we like to refer to them. And that's where more of the critical infrastructure industries are going. Electric utilities, we have regulations around that on the high voltage side. Those are required to be fully separated and monitored and controlled for changes. Uh, the distribution, the part of the grid that brings it to your house, the regulations aren't the same there, but many utilities are combining tra the transportation high voltage with the distribution because it's just the right thing to do. Use the same controls to protect the same the, the environment all the way out to the home, and you'll just be that much more secure. TSA just recently came out with new requirements on many of the gas pipeline uh, companies, very similar to the ones on the electric side. So the industry is moving and evolving, and but we're still ahead of a lot of other companies from a regulatory requirement in the space. Banks are fortunate. Banks tend to have lots of cash coming in, higher margins, they spend lots of money, but they're dealing with people's cash. You know, utilities, we're dealing with uh, individual state consumers. We're regulated with the states, uh, but we, we, we invest where we have to. And that's important. We are a risk-based program. No different than when you look at the medical systems, hospitals, they're even more tightly constrained in their financial resources. And so their cyber programs tend to be not at the same level of a lot of the other critical infrastructure, but they're moving in the right direction. And you saw that when you saw the WannaCry and the ransomware attacks that came out. A number of areas that were publicized were hospitals, medical systems, and, and such there. So they're moving in the right direction, but financially it's just more difficult for them to move faster. Yeah, and WannaCry, in, in your description of uh, IoT intranet or internet, WannaCry exploited a vulnerability in uh, an Active Directory server and it wormed its way across the network at uh, nih.gov.uk, the first uh, healthcare provider to get hit pretty hard with it. And it seemed to be an intranet DDoS attack in the sense that, you know, by taking down all these computers, whether or not they got their ransom, the computers were down, and now you have a critical infrastructure, a healthcare provider, hospital system, unable to, you know, take in Jimmy for his operation that, that weekend or week. Uh, that was very, very serious. But again, what could they have done differently? Well, I think there's a couple of things. One, things like WannaCry, you know, it was likely targeted at a certain area, a certain industry first. 
but by nature of the malware was released over the internet, as you said, and spread widely across, across the globe, affecting a lot of individuals. When you think about what you could do different, it's the layers of defense. You know, there are technologies out there that are very good at detecting ransomware type products. Doesn't matter what version it is or what product name, but it sees the behavior and it tends to stop them in quarantine. So maybe you get one device that's compromised. There's other technologies that will scan for the emails that's coming in and bringing those, those files in there or the combination of a click link that comes in from the email and then tries to bring in the malware. But you need to have these layers of technologies to address the threats. I think a young organization or an organization that's maturing in its cyber program needs to really understand the threats that are coming in, how the attacks work, they call them techniques, tactics, procedures, and then develop their defenses against that. If you don't start proactively monitoring the attacker, it's going to be very hard to build your defense model. You're always playing catch up. That makes so much sense. And I like what you say really about bifurcation of whether it's the HR department from finance, which is, you know, separation of different duties, but also give them a separate network. And then the other area is isolation of a risk of a breach. The smaller these subgroups are, uh, the I would say if you do it right, the less opportunity for cross-pollination of the malware or propagation amongst peers. So that I love that. And, you know, uh, I remember when Boeing came out with the 777 with an advisory uh, that went into the National Vulnerability Database, I believe, where they said, oh, oops, you know, the, uh, the ailerons could be connected to the same network that goes to the entertainment network because they, I guess they built it saving money, not putting a firewall between or setting up separate VLANs. That, that's absolutely correct. You know, corporations are getting used to separating their networks, but when you start looking at the products, that's an area that is still evolving. You see in the news a few years ago, how uh, cars have been hacked, remotely connected to, and they're able to control them, brake when they want or increase the speed or cause it to shut down. Well, that just shows the design of a car is all interacted through probably a single computer. I remember when I purchased my current car, I was just having fun with the sales uh, salesman there and said, do you know how the systems are separated, you know, where I can do a remote access for the GPS, you know, is that separate from the rest of the car? And he looked at me like I had two heads, you know, so you just think about these more sophisticated electric vehicles with the remote updates and all. You know, I know they're doing everything they can to try to lock that down and keep that secure, but there's inherent risk and anytime you have this coming out like that. So I think the manufacturers are learning to try to figure out how do they design and separate this, but there is that balance between cost. You know, how many people are really trying to just take control of cars and shut them down? Do they really need that separation? Now, on a impact side, if you do that wrong, you're going to potentially cause human life. And that's obviously the most critical and most severe that you could have. But there has to be that balance in some of these things. Otherwise, the cost of some of these items might be unford unaffordable. So we really have to think about these things. Uh, you look at Boeing, they put that vulnerability out there. They announced it because that's a serious situation with lots of planes. And they obviously were looking, saying there was something wrong here. This wasn't designed quite right. So at least they're designing security into those environments. And, and they're trying to do that. There's a number of other organizations that are testing products 
just to see are they actually designed from a security perspective. And I think that's we need more of that. We need to help manufacturers understand how to bake security into their products. Uh, just look at the Solar Winds event. Great example of where an organization uh, product development was not under the cyber program. And I can understand why it wasn't. I believe it is now. And that's because they baked in secured coding practice into what they were doing. And not that there were laps in any way, shape, or form. They had very strong development processes, but the adversaries are that good. So it's taking that to the next level. Chris, what a great point and piece of advice is really bake it in from the beginning. Security uh, inherent in design, not an afterthought. Exactly, exactly. So uh, another quick question. How are things going on the job front? Do you have a job portal for people? Are you hiring? And if so, uh, is it, can they be anywhere in the U.S.? Do they have to be in New England? What's going on on the job front? So as you hear in the news constantly, there are not enough qualified individuals for all the cybersecurity jobs out there. For Eversource, we are growing our department. We are continuing to evolve and expand uh, various areas. We have a number of positions at jobs.eversource.com in, in different areas. And for us, you know, one thing with being a utility is we have to really pull people from within our service territories, our, the areas that we do business. When you look at global manufacturers, global banks, they're set up to do business all around the world. Utilities are set up to do business in the states they serve customers and maybe a state or two around them, depending on the size. And so we can't pull people from across the country because we're just not set up and registered and our benefits aren't set up that way. And that's across the industry. I talked to a number of my peers and we all struggle that certain states have to pull from within their state only. And you know that definitely makes it a challenge here. Uh, we're working through that. You know, utilities and many companies are saying there are certain skills that we have to find, have, and so we may need to make an exception and hire someone from out of our area. But those tend to be the exceptions. It's just the nature of our business. You know, a small mom and pop shop that does business in the state in one state, they're not going to be able to hire someone and do remote support from across the country. We have payroll taxes and benefit issues, so so it can be a challenge, but. We've been able to pull in good, talented people. Uh, we work with the school systems and we're helping develop people coming out of the school systems. So we've been okay in doing in that area. That sounds great. And and it's uh, is there a careers link or a jobs.eversource.com link, something like that? Yes, if you just type in jobs.eversource.com, that'll bring you to the, to the search site and you can put in cybersecurity and look at all the different job opportunities that are out there. It's uh, it's quite easy to get to. Like most organizations, you go to eversource.com at the bottom's careers, and that's, that'll take it to the same spot. Sounds great. And Chris, is there anything else you'd want to share with our viewers and listeners before we go? Uh, the thing I would like to just put out there is, is two things. For the cyber professionals out there, our roles are changing. Your skill sets need to change. We need to be more technical. But we also have to understand the business. And I think the industry is evolving to be really more business professionals as much as technical professionals. But then it's also important for the business side, corporate leadership to understand cybersecurity is not a luxury anymore. It's a necessity. And the cyber organization needs to be part of that leadership team to do strategic planning with the organization to help the company understand the risk. 
there are various uh, changes in the legal system right now. New laws coming out on reporting and the SEC is changing the requirements to have certain professionals on the board of directors that have cyber backgrounds. That's an acknowledgement that people are not understanding enough of what's going on from a risk perspective and we need more expertise there. So both business and cyber, we need to understand each other's side uh, and we need to learn to talk with each other, not past each other. And that's an evolving area and I promote that a lot with our peers is making sure we are business partners as well as technology professionals. That's great advice. So from the board down, we should have cybersecurity as a forethought, not an afterthought. And from the product development and service development up, we should be doing the same. Absolutely. Great advice. And then folks, go to his website. It's jobs.eversource.com jobs if you're looking to join a great company in cybersecurity and a power company that's just amazing. You've been listening to Cyber Defense Radio. Stay tuned next time for another amazing and informative episode. CyberDefenseRadio.com is proudly part of the Cyber Defense Media Group, where InfoSec knowledge is power. Cyber Defense TV and Cyber Defense Radio have launched 24 by 7 by 365 live streams. Visit them online today at cyberdefense.tv and cyberdefense.radio with your host and globally recognized cybersecurity expert and my good friend, Gary Malewski. <laughs>